0: Hello everyone, you're listening to the Best Thoughts Podcast with me, Rick
1: Johns, and my brother is here. Hello, I'm Will Johns, and it is great to be with you all today. Today, we are going to be talking about how to deal with difficult people. Like your brother. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I was hoping to get that first joke in and he beat me to it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Difficult people are everywhere, sometimes even in your own family.
1: You know, Rick, I feel like I am the expert On this particular issue, because of doing this podcast with you every week, Um, I am the master of dealing with difficult people. Ah, touche.
0: There's probably some truth to that, but I have enough awareness to see that could be true. But it should be a good podcast today, Will, and I know no matter who you are, you have had to deal with somebody who is hard to deal with. And whether it's someone in your family, someone at work, someone at school, someone in the neighborhood, someone at the grocery store, wherever it is, no doubt you have had to deal with somebody that is a little difficult to deal with or someone that just pushes your buttons. Um, Will, I don't know about you, but what is it like
1: for you when somebody
0: is difficult? What does that
1: do to you? Well, Rick, you know, dealing with a difficult person is, um, you know, very stressful. It raises my anxiety. Um, Often it brings out the worst in me. And then I feel shame about myself for how I've acted. Yeah. And that shame, instead of owning it or dealing with my stuff, I project it back on that person and say, well, if they hadn't been such a jerk, I wouldn't have acted the way I did. Right. So it's kind of a very vicious, unpleasant trap to fall into.
0: Right. They can get you to kind of hate yourself, and that makes you hate them all the more, and there's the vicious cycle.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: You know, Will, I'm remembering uh, way back, many, 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 many years ago when I was pastoring, there was someone in my church that was a bit difficult to work with, and we got off to a really rocky start, and... You know if i'm honest uh, i can see some big mistakes i made early in that relationship and i was a new pastor in a new church and i thought i had the exact vision that this church needed and you know lucky for this church they had me to come in and show them the ropes and give them the vision and tell them where to spend all the money well it wasn't long before the treasurer of that church was getting a little bit scared about this young kid with big visions. And these Mm. big visions uh, cost big money. Yes. So this individual was starting to really put the brakes on me. And it was starting to get annoying to me that every time I felt I was proposing something that the church should do, the treasurer would poo-poo the idea and say, no, we don't have the money. No, we don't have this. No, I don't think it's a good idea, or maybe we need to do more research. And for me, as a young, ambitious, visionary uh, pastor, I was getting pretty frustrated. So that relationship started to get pretty tense, even to the point of arguing pretty strongly in some of my early board meetings with her. Mm. So I remember specifically as this thing escalated, and I started to view her as my enemy. In fact... I even remember looking at the Gospels and saying, well, Judas was the one who handled the money, so we know <laughs> this is what happens. It's the treasurer is the evil one Wow! in your church. So this, is, this is the stereotype. I was already blanketing all treasurers as evil people because of Judas and this, this person that was not agreeing with my ideas. And as it escalated, there was one Sabbath after church where this treasurer was talking to my wife and they were talking about something that had to do with one of my visions. And the treasurer said to my wife, it is my job to protect this church from the pastor.
1: Wow. So uh,
0: my wife at the time said, came home from church. Of course, she told me this conversation and then I was just livid. I thought, that is not your job. Your job is to support the pastor and to fund his vision. And how dare this person have this view that they are to protect the church from me? Well, that, that was just one of many escalations. And it culminated in one particular board meeting. And in this board meeting, I was already frustrated because from the minute the board meeting started, she was negative on everything that I was sharing. And we got to the end of the board meeting, and I realized the last thing on my agenda was to tell the church I had purchased some video, an evangelistic video series that we wanted to use, and we were going to put it on the local station and show it as uh, a witness for our community. But I realized I had not asked permission before I bought it. And we had a rule or she had a rule at the church that you had to get board approval if you spent over $100. And this evangelistic series was like $120. So now as I get to the end of the meeting, I'm like, oh no, if I share that I already bought this, she's gonna nail me to the wall that there I go again, you know, thwarting the board, not getting their approval. I'm a law unto myself. I had all these things she was going to just say about me and how she was going to make me look bad in front of everyone. So then I decided, you know what? She doesn't know I bought it yet. I'm just going to present it as if I want to buy it. So this will solve all my problems. (laughs) So I said to the board, hey, Uh, I want to buy this evangelistic series and we can use it in this way. It's $120. How many approve? And before we could get the vote in, one of my members said, oh, didn't you already buy it? I saw it sitting in your office. And then my treasurer said, yeah, I saw it there too. So I think you already bought it. They had caught me. And I was so humiliated and so embarrassed that without thinking, I said, no, I haven't bought it yet.
1: And they said,
0: well, I think we saw it in your office. I said, no, no, that's a different thing. So here's how it escalated to the point where I was so at war with her, I couldn't give her even a fraction to the point that I was willing to lie as a pastor to my entire board. Wow, wow. So that is exactly how not to do and deal with difficult <laughs> yes. people. Yes,
1: thank you for that, that gripping story, Rick, because I think we can all relate to the escalation that you're describing there. We've all had that person that we're just sure is out to get us, and you know they're, they're shooting us down at every step. And the lengths it pushes us to is sometimes very, very embarrassing, you know, of how far we'll go once we get in that defensive kind of conflicted mode uh, like you did with her. And, and Rick, one thing that I'm thinking as you tell that story is I think there are natural conflicts that arise simply by the roles that were given, say, within an organization, So you're given this role as pastor, where you you feel the pressure to be a visionary to make things happen, you know, and you know that's going to take money, and the treasurer's given this role that she knows she's going to get criticized and so forth if there's not enough money, you know, in the account at Mm. the end of the day, and so your roles are set up for conflict. Yeah, and and sometimes I think if we if we don't see that that bigger picture kind of behind the scenes, um, we may assume someone's our enemy when they're simply trying to do the best job they can in their sphere. And you're so right, Will, because when that thing escalated,
0: you can see I got to the point where it was all or nothing. I I could not admit any kind of defeat. I could not let her win at any little thing to the point where I almost destroyed my career by (laughs) lying deliberately to my board, which as you can imagine, I had some damage control. And luckily it hit me very soon after the board meeting that I needed to do uh, a confession and really make this right. And so I had to go through a whole process with my board, you know, admitting what I had done and admitting the huge mistake I had made. And you know what, I didn't have a good reason and I wasn't certainly going to say, well, I lied because I was feeling like I was at war with the treasurer and I couldn't admit that I had done something wrong and I didn't want to give her that, that joy of having something wrong on me. And wow, what a yeah, mess yes. I created for myself.
1: Yeah, you, you created a, a wonderful mess there <laughs> for yourself. And this is why we're talking about this topic and why, to me, it's so important is we add fuel to the fire without realizing that that's what we're doing. Mm. Uh, very often when we're in conflict, when we're dealing with difficult people, when we're dealing with people that know how to push our buttons. And and if if you don't think you have a button that someone's able to push, you're in denial of your humanity. We all have buttons. Yes. And if someone does the right thing, yeah, it can set that button off. Yeah. And and for a lot of us, that button gets pushed when it's something traffic related. Um, <laughs> it's amazing how just being out on the road driving will set our buttons off. Yes. You know, in, in dealing with people. Uh, and that reminds me of a story, Rick. This isn't something that happened to me directly. Um, this happened to uh, another pastor, but it's, it's just such a great story about how we can own our reaction. Hmm. And this pastor named Bill uh, was was out driving one day and he was pulling up to a coffee shop and there was a parking spot right there in in front of the the coffee shop and someone was pulling out of it and he was like, great, I've got the perfect spot, just pull in, grab my coffee and go. Pulls into the spot and like 10 seconds after he's in the spot, there's someone banging on his window. And this guy is irate. He is swearing and cursing and calling Bill every name in the book. And what Bill didn't realize until he he started to put the pieces together is that guy had been waiting for the spot for a long time. And the car that pulled out kind of momentarily blocked his view of, of this other car. So that when he zipped in, it looked like he was just cutting right in in front of this guy. So Bill is sitting there taking all of this abuse from this irate guy. (laughs) And so he rolls down the window and he says to the guy, everything you just said about me is true. I'm very sorry that I took your spot. I'm going to move so that you can take it and I'll go park somewhere else. And, of course, the man that was screaming and cursing at him was not expecting that response. (laughs) (laughs) And he was dumbfounded. He was silent. And so Bill drove away, found a parking spot a lot farther away, and walked back to the coffee shop. And here's a guy that had been cussing him out standing there at the door. And he's like, oh, no. Here we go again. And the guy says to him, he's like, listen... I totally lost it back there. I'm so sorry, and I don't know how you were able to react like you did, but uh, I want to buy you whatever you want in the coffee shop to make it up to you. And mm-hmm. so, and so we see what what I love about this story, Rick, is that we see the power yeah. of non-reaction. Yeah. The power of non-reactivity. The power of staying calm under pressure. You, You can flip somebody 180 degrees.
0: Yeah, and it takes us right back to our first two episodes in this season, Will. It's all coming full circle because we recognize there's anxiety always in the system. And when that anxiety comes at you, it's your responsibility to decide what to do with it. So Mm -hmm. when you have this difficult person, and I love your story with the pastor there, luckily he was in the right mind frame and he was in his moment of Zen or whatever coming from uh, having time with God or something. Luckily, he was able to not take that anxiety, not escalate that anxiety, but to be what Murray Bowen would call a non-anxious presence.
1: Yes. And I think
0: we brought that up in the first two episodes. And I love that definition, a non-anxious anxious presence. That's true leadership. That's true health in the system. And so that's what I want. And I know uh, that's what all of our listeners want, that when these kind of moments come, how do we become that non-anxious presence that can de-escalate things so that you can now have coffee and enjoy a conversation with the difficult person instead of having a fist fight and the cops being called?
1: Yes, yes. It reminds me of a, a former church member that I knew who he said before uh, he was converted, before God was in his life, he had a huge temper. And as a result, he would go to bars and pick fights. And this individual has been stabbed 17 times. And that's what happens when you get into conflict mode. When you're looking for the fight, there's always someone that will give it to you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and the result is, he's got the scars to prove it. it it's not pretty. It's not where we want to go with people. And, and so having that non-anxious presence. The book of Proverbs says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Hmm. And, and Rick, I had a recent experience uh, right before COVID hit. Uh, it was it was widely in the news, but things hadn't shut down yet. it was It was kind of like there was about a week for that, if you remember that time yeah. period. Everyone was on edge about Covid. And I was taking my family to the uh, shopping outlets. We were trying to find some shoes for for my son and my daughter. And there was another man there with his family and children. And the shoe aisles were a little close. You know, it was a little narrow. And I was trying to get from one side of the aisle to the other. And this man and his children were kind of blocking the aisle. And totally without thinking, without being aware of the context of COVID and whatnot, I kind of walked right through his family. You know, it just wasn't a wise thing for me to do, with, with, especially with COVID, you know, being out there and everybody's edgy about it. And this guy immediately confronted me and he was like, hey man, what are you doing walking close to my family like that? <laughs> and, and I don't know how this was in me, but I thank God for it. I, I see it as, as a gift of grace. I simply said, I'm so sorry. That's my fault. I should not have done that. <laughs> Instant de-escalation. The look on his face changed. And then I continued to shop. And then he comes towards me, and I'm getting nervous. I'm like, oh boy, here's this guy again. <laughs> he says, man, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. And I said, no, no, it was my fault it's my fault. He felt bad enough (laughs) that he was apologizing to me later for his reaction to what I had started. That soft answer changes the whole dynamic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And again, that goes back to one of our earlier episodes about Gottman's harsh startup. Yes, Just having that soft answer. If you're being attacked by a difficult person, think about very intentionally how you are going to respond because if you respond in kind it's like throwing fuel right onto the fire and fire is going to burn everybody fire doesn't just burn them it's going to burn you too so you don't want to play with fire and that's the danger we get in and you know i'm thinking today in our society how many videos on youtube are people having meltdowns i mean it's everywhere i don't usually watch them but I know they're everywhere, and I see little links for them all the time of somebody melted down at McDonald's, somebody melted down here, somebody melted down there. And uh, even if it's just for your own self-respect of don't get on YouTube, <laughs> uh, you gotta, you got to learn how do I de-escalate? How do I calm myself? And you know, Will, there's triggers. I think that's one of the things we need to be aware of. Mm. And I would challenge our listeners, ask yourself, what are my triggers? triggers. What about someone else or something they do or say just really triggers me and I just like, oh, I can't stand this person, or I can't believe they would do that, or I can't believe they would say that? That's a good step. If you can identify some of these triggers, then you can be more prepared and say, okay, it's happening. There's one of my triggers.
1: Now what can I do? Yes. And and Rick, what I like where you're going with this is that It's really, when we're talking about dealing with difficult people, and this goes back to the beginning as well with systems theory, it's not about changing them. It's about changing us. Yeah, It's about figuring out what is the trigger inside of me that makes being around this person so unpleasant. And and I've got a great story on that one as well because um, in one church that I was at a long time ago, there was a member there that just irritated me to no end. And I shared this with a close friend who was kind of like uh, someone that just I would bounce things off of. And he says to me, he says, oh, this guy sounds like a wonderful teacher for you, Will. (laughs) And that was not what I was wanting to hear from this friend. (laughs) And he said, "You you know what? He said, whatever bothers us the most in another person is probably in us. Mm. and i started to look at this guy from that angle and sure enough there were three major things that i did not like about myself that this guy personified Mm. and when i started dealing with that stuff in me then he began to bother me much much less
0: yeah and i think being aware of those specific things. And for you to kind of look at this guy and say, well, what are the things in him that really bother me? And why, what are they tapping into in me? And there's a story there. It's not like we're, we didn't come out of a vacuum. Like we have a whole history. And so there's no doubt that there are going to be certain triggers in other people. And maybe it's somebody who reminds you of, your father, who is always really hard on you on one thing, and so you're, you're really like sensitive about that one thing, or kids used to tease you about this, or you were always this way and you're trying not to be that way and you meet a person who is that way. There's so many ways that triggers work, but you, it's on us to do our own personal work, to understand, okay, here's why I don't like this type of person. Here's why I don't like it. Like for me, from my story, one of the things I hate is when I think somebody's lying to me. Mm. I just hate that. Mm. It is, I, I will lose my cool when someone looks me in the eye and tells me a lie or tries to smooch me or, you know, just kind of massage everything. I just hate that kind of thing. Well, look what I did with my church board. <laughs> when push came to shove and I needed to save my my own self, I lied. Yeah, And yeah. so it's in me, but I don't like it. So it's a trigger for me. Yes. So I have to be aware. And, and the better result would be, how do I have compassion for this person? How do I realize it's not my goal to change them? I don't have to fight them. I don't have to go to war with them. I can call them on the lie. If I want to call them on the lie, I can do that. I have options, but I don't have to escalate it. I don't have to go to war. I don't have to hate them.
1: Yes. Rick, that brings up to me probably the most important principle that I've learned the hard way, uh, and I have the, the scars to prove it in this case, and, and I've seen this so many times. Um, when it comes to dealing with difficult people, we need to pay very close attention to, to what I call the, the line in our own minds where there's this line that once we cross it, we only see the negative in that other person. Hmm. So, so we have this perception. Think of a difficult person in your life right now. okay, And then rate it in your, in your mind on a scale of whether you can see the good in them you can see the, the positive qualities that they bring to the table? Or do they only look negative? Is everything about them negative? If everything about them is negative in your perception, you've crossed that line in your mind. Yeah. Once you've done that, it's like our episode on the on the four horsemen, you've entered into the region of contempt. And once that person can do nothing right. Everything they do is wrong. Everything about them is bad. You're going to start treating them terribly. Yeah. It goes without saying. That's what's going to happen. You're going to slander them every chance you get behind their back. You're going to look for ways to make them miserable. And, and I've done this. You know, that, that church member I was telling you about earlier where my friend said that he's a great teacher... I crossed that line in my brain with that guy and I, I was thinking there's nothing good about him. There's nothing I like about this guy. Yeah, and, and then recently there was someone in my life that I saw do that in a relationship and it was devastating for that mm. person. They crossed that line, things blew up and, and it was very, very difficult for them to recover from that process.
0: Yeah. Once once that person becomes the devil himself, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Then there's no coming back. And then it, you can feel justified, hating them, putting them down, you know, undermining them, whatever, or getting
1: revenge. And and Rick, that brings up a question for me for you, which is, what do you do when the difficult person that you're trying to deal with is a member of your own family? Right. And that you. You can't change your family
0: as much as some of us would like to or like to try to uh, just selectively pick those you want in your family. Uh, You can't choose that. So if you have someone who's difficult in your family, number one, go back and listen to our first two uh, podcasts on this topic because systems theory, understanding the family dynamic, understanding anxiety in the system, understanding the black sheep concept, how anxiety is transferred, those can be helpful tools. Because when you're in the family, all this anxiety is ramped up because of your close connection, because you are family. Mm -hmm. You may live with them, or they may live nearby, or you just may see them all the time with family gatherings and things. So having a difficult person in your family is usually five to 10 times worse than having them, say, at work or at the gym or somewhere, somewhere where you don't have to have all that connection and interaction. The second piece to that that we need to understand is because it's in the family, all the other family issues are kind of wrapped up around it. And so whatever trauma or whatever issues you have with your own family, this person is probably... Poking that raw nerve. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. this is to me the time where you need to get a good counselor and you need to do your own work to self differentiate from your family and allow them to be them and you not need them to change for you to be healthy. Yeah. And we talked more yes. about that in the first couple episodes of this season. So, I refer people back to that.
1: Yeah. And I I like that answer, Rick, because I think a lot of people might be dealing with that very situation. And I know I want to recommend a book here that has been extremely helpful for me personally called The Anatomy of Peace. And it's by the Arbinger Institute. The piece that I took away from it that has stuck with me ever since is that I need to put myself on the same side As the difficult person in other words i need to think of being on their team not against them and and when someone is difficult it's easy for me to categorically place them as enemy Hmm. or as against Hmm. but i need to see myself as for them yeah i'm working for their best interest i'm on their side and And parents, you might relate to, you know, if you have a difficult child that you're that you're dealing with, uh, sometimes it's easy to get in an adversarial relationship where you're just constantly fighting, 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 fighting. but but if you could step out of that and come alongside your child and 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 talk to them in a calm way to reassure i'm I'm wanting to do what's best for you. I'm trying to do to help you, and you mentally picture yourself on the same team, uh, that for me has gone a long way. That's helped a lot.
0: That's a big paradigm shift. I think even just the mental construct of seeing yourself on the same side, not opposed, you know, picturing yourself, hey, I'm next to them. I'm not in front of them fighting them or boxing with them. And it can be in anything. If it's something at work, you got somebody that's just always undermining you and being difficult, instead of going to war with them, hey, we're on the same side. We want to see the company succeed. We want to see uh, the product do well or whatever you know goals you have at the company. Just that mental shift can make a huge difference because they'll sense that maybe, oh, he's on my side. Why am I going to war with him? Mm. Just that mm. shift. And I've gone to some really difficult meetings where I had to mentally remind myself, okay, we're on the same side here. And the difference it makes is huge. It's not small, it's huge. If I go in with that fear that we're adversaries and we're gonna fight to the death, then that's usually how the meeting goes. If I go in just believing we're on the same side, it's amazing where we can get. And it doesn't mean we'll agree on everything, but at least we're not at war.
1: Rick, I think that that is probably the single most effective discipline that that has helped me in dealing with difficult people is to take time before meeting with them or before I know I'm going to interact with them to put myself in a positive mental framework and see myself on their side. Yeah. And when I show up with that positive energy towards them, I get that in return. When I show up with a negative energy towards them, then I get that in return. Yeah. So I get to decide which energy is probably going to come back at me, you know, and, you know, that's not every case. Of course, there's, there's people that will override your positive energy and and still be very difficult. And, you know, and there's, there's limits to everything, you know, that we've talked about today, but, um, but, but. Clearly, changing our own mindset is a powerful way forward. Yeah. Um, but Rick, as we're, as we're about to wrap up today, I'm so curious about what happened at the end of your story that you started with where you lied to your church board. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, like I said, I had to confess, uh, which I did immediately that evening. At, once I got home, I sent all the board members an email. And I do feel that softened her a little bit because I was duly humbled, which I think was probably part of what she was fighting against in me was my arrogance and my know-it-all spirit that I brought as a young pastor to that church. And um, we started to actually make some headway. And then it's interesting, two things happened. Number one, not too much longer, maybe a year later, we had a situation where One of our members was leaving to try to plant their own church and they needed money and they wanted money from the board to, to plant this new little church in a little country town about an hour from our church. And it was a bit controversial among our church board. And I knew that. And so I told the gentleman that was going to uh, plant the church. I said, well, why don't you just talk to the treasurer and see if she's willing to support you? And so he did, and she cut him a check, surprisingly, on her own, (laughs) and we got to the board meeting, and I knew this had happened because he told me, but nobody at the board knew it happened. So we get to the board, she gives her treasurer's report, and there on the report, there shows a check for like $500, and so somebody, one of my deacons says, What's this check for $500? Because she hadn't labeled it, which I knew was interesting. And so she finally confessed, well, you know, I gave so-and-so the money because he wants to do this church plant, and I knew it was a good cause. Well, the board blew up. Are you kidding? We didn't vote on that. And half the board, which I knew and she probably didn't, didn't want to give him that money and didn't believe he should be doing this church. And so I just sat back for a little bit, not a long time, but for a little bit, I let the board chastise her because she had broken the very rule that she had gotten on many of us about, uh, you know, doing something above $100 without authorization. After that meeting, well, I shouldn't say, not after, I'm sorry. At that meeting, I finally interject, in, injected and I said, okay, folks. I said, I was planning to bring that to the meeting tonight. I said, I do feel like it's the right move. And I think she was stunned as I started expressing my support for her and what she had done. Mm. Especially since I had been nailed to the wall many times in the past. And from that moment forward, we began to forge a working relationship that later she became one of my strongest allies and supporters. Wow. When she realized I did have the good of the church in mind and that. I wasn't the enemy, she wasn't the enemy, and we got onto that same
1: side. Wow. I love that story, Rick, because it tells us that there is hope to get on the same side. You know, some of the people that are in our lives right now that we think, man, I, I, I don't know that I could ever get along with them. Maybe you could get on the same side. Maybe you could, you know, don't, don't sell your vision short. Try to take some time to just imagine what looking, what being on the same side might look like, what might, what that might feel like, Uh, especially if you're dealing with a family member that you're, you're struggling to get along with, you know, really envision that because that can make a huge difference.
0: For sure. Thank you so much, Will. I know we have one more bonus episode coming up next week. And what will we be talking about next week, Will?
1: So next week, we're going to be concluding our season two on relationships by talking about community. Mm. Uh, We've talked about friendships, marriage, dating, uh, all of that. But uh, we all need a community, a larger group that we're part of, where we feel like we belong. And uh, we're going to just talk next week about what that might look like and, and different sources of community in your life and where you might be able to find it
0: thank you for those final thoughts will and this wasn't as difficult as we thought it would be (laughs) (laughs) but we look forward to being with you next episode and you have been listening to best thoughts with dr will johns and dr rick johns have a great week